On the virtual Bible study tonight, we're going to look at something, well, we may not have thought about it much at all, but new heavens and a new earth. There's a, of course, uh, the expression new heavens and new earth is a biblical expression. Some people have a, uh, I think, an erroneous view of that. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses have a particular view of that that we've talked about in the past. But I, it's come to my knowledge that this is an increasingly popular idea among others, even among some in churches of Christ, are beginning to teach some unusual things about new heavens and new earth. Well, it's going to be an important discussion, and we're going to get started on it right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February twenty fifth, two thousand and twenty one. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Great to be with you, Jacob. Kyle's behind the controls. Welcome, Kyle. It's good to be here. Glad you're here. Glad that you're listening tonight. And we want to hear from you at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at College.com in the chat room. They're signing in the chat room, and we're far and wide tonight. Minnesota, California, Indiana, Iowa, and, of course, Tennessee, and others in there as well. So sign in. Maybe share your location on the program tonight uh, as we get together in this, uh, well, this virtual dining room table and sit around yeah. and talk about the Scriptures. Yeah, yeah. You know, really, we were doing virtual before virtual was cool. You know, well, we, well. we were doing virtual Bible study way before anybody thought about the pandemic or anything. Yep. Uh, so we, we've been doing the virtual thing for a long time. But it's a, it's a great way to, to study. And, you know, folks in the chat room all sort of get to be like uh, friends and family. We sort of see the same folks every week. And uh, yeah. there's some banter back and forth in the chat room with uh, other we listeners. We always agree on every single thing. We can always come together at the you know, common you know, knowledge and love of well, if we study, if we study so, and, the, the, and we're and we're open to what the scriptures teach, we will agree on them. Yeah. And that's the purpose of this program is so that we will agree uh, with what God has said and that we can apply it to our lives and uh, be more pleasing to him in the future than we have been in the past. So a uh, good discussion tonight, hopefully, and, and look forward to your participation in uh, that discussion tonight. Yeah, um, I actually uh, this has happened several times recently. Somebody tips me off to something and ask, you know, are we aware of what's being taught on this or that? Mm-hmm. And our good buddy Paul Smithson over in Tullahoma, Tennessee, Manchester, Tennessee area, he texted me and wanted to know if I was familiar with a website called Radically, Radically Christian. Uh, the fellow who, uh, who operates that website is a man by the name of Wes McAdams, and he is the preacher for the McDermott Road Church of Christ in Plano, Texas. Okay. So, but apparently, uh, he's quite a dynamic speaker, uh, writer, and apparently a lot of people are paying attention to what he has to say. A lot of young people among churches of Christ apparently are paying some attention to Wes McAdams. Wes McAdams challenges basically everything that we have traditionally believed and taught. Uh, I was looking at a, a number of his 
blog post on his website, and <coughs> the vast majority of them are entitled something of rethinking what we've believed about this or reevaluating our position on that. Mm. And so, <coughs> excuse me. He is he he is of that mindset that we have we have talked about in in sort of precautionary terms, you know, challenging the the accepted concepts. Your feelers need to go up when, uh, <coughs> when that when you hear that. Uh, yes. Yep. So in this particular episode, um, he interviews a fellow from right here in Middle Tennessee. He interviews a guy named Josh Pappas. Oh, yeah, you boy, okay? I got, I got you, a, is that I got, COVID over there? I got this tickle in my throat just okay. when we got started. All right. <clears throat> anyway, this Josh Pappas preaches for the Laverne Church of Christ right here in Middle Tennessee. Okay. And uh, and uh, they are taking the position, this Josh Pappas. We've got an audio clip from him. We're going to play here. But uh, he, he's taking the position that the earth is not going to be destroyed but be, will be refashioned, reconstructed. To its original glory. So I thought maybe we'd just play just a, a brief clip of of this audio file. All right, here we go. This is uh, <coughs> jo- this is Josh Pappas, uh, and he's being interviewed by this Wes, Wes McAdams, McAdams on, and, on, on a, a website called Radically Christian. All right, let's hear what he says. I also grew up uh, being uh, taught and believing in the uh, uh, eventual utter annihilation of the whole physical cosmos, uh, whole physical universe. Uh, to uh, exist uh, in some form or another in a um, in in heaven, um, I was often confused as as a young person uh, because uh, thankfully um, where I grew up uh, the the truth of the resurrection of the body that is the material resurrection was something that was taught but uh, the way that that was taught and then sort of spiritualized really confused me because I can remember being probably 10 or 11, 12 years old and thinking, so, so, so what is this? So, so Jesus is gone for a while and then he comes back and raises all the dead bodily. And then, uh, we sort of float up into the sky as, as he's destroying the whole physical universe. And then what happens? Do we continue to be in our material resurrected bodies or do our bodies just kind of dematerialize and become pure spirit form? And I, I could never quite get a, uh, uh, you know, a clear answer from folks, even folks who were you know, considerably, you know, well, well uh, developed and accomplished Bible students. Uh, some said one thing and some said the said another. So, you know, from from uh, some of my earliest years, actually thinking about the resurrection and thinking about uh, our eternal state of existence, there was a lot of confusion. And, and I think even today, as kind of the new heavens, new earth thing has become unfortunately controversial, even folks who uh, they're folks who hold the view who have different uh opinions about different aspects of it and of course those who believe that uh teaching uh that that we will spend our heavenly existence on a literal new heaven and new earth uh they themselves also have some confusions about different aspects of that so lots of stuff to think about but um what i specifically mean is that um um, I don't know how deep to get into this to start with, but I'm just going to try to start from simple and, and we'll let it get uh, more complex if we need to. But uh, basically, I believe that the Bible teaches that uh, when Jesus returns, uh, he will set up his glorious throne and uh, he will judge all of mankind and uh, the lost will be cast out into a place of outer darkness and uh, those who are saved will 
in their glorified resurrection bodies uh, be given a place and uh, a role and a function in a literal new earth that will be the place where we will live in heaven. And uh, the, the picture that uh, Revelation uh, 21 uh, gives us, Revelation 21 and 22, uh, of, of the new Jerusalem descending down out of heaven and the statement that the dwelling of God will be with man and so on uh, means that this, this veil of separation uh, between our physical existence and God's spiritual home, the heaven of heavens, which uh, I believe that barrier between the two realms or dimensions, if you will, uh, was put in place uh, following the fall of mankind in Genesis 3. Uh, and uh, I believe that will be removed and all of the material cosmos, the physical universe, the world is going to be restored, regenerated, renewed, brought into the pristine state of perfection that God originally intended for it to be brought into. And we will continue to live embodied existence in perfected resurrection bodies like Jesus's resurrection bodies uh, in that new heavens and new earth forever and ever and ever. All right. Well, uh, you cut right there at the end, especially you got you got the gist of what he was saying that our, we're going to be resurrected, but we're going to live here on planet Earth. Planet Earth is going to be refurbished, put back in its Garden of Eden, pristine condition. Christ is going to set up a throne here on Earth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a lot. There's a lot of of intermingling of doctrines there. You you could certainly get the hint of premillennialism in what he said about Jesus setting up an earthly throne. But you could also definitely get the very same notion that Jehovah's Witnesses have taught for a long time, that the physical universe is not going to be destroyed. It's going to be refurbished. It'll be restored. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses have their peculiar doctrine of the 144,000 who will go to heaven to be with God, and the rest of the righteous will inherit the earth in in its perfected condition put back in its in its pristine case uh, a situation before uh, the fall of man uh, and so uh, we just thought that we might use those ideas as a jumping off place to talk about what's going to happen to the earth and where will we spend eternity so we don't have to we don't have to delve into all those false doctrines but we need to ground ourselves on what the t- scriptures teach and yeah. then we'll be prepared for when somebody comes along and presents something like this or the jehovah's witnesses knock on our door or whatever comes along, we know the scriptures on the matter, and we won't have to be taken aback by some of these wild ideas. Yeah, and uh, we especially want to spend just a little bit of time in the course of our discussion talking about that expression, new heavens and new earth, that's that's actually a biblical phrase found in Second Peter 3, verse 13. Okay. And uh, we'll look at that as we get into our study. Join in the discussion. You sent some questions earlier today. Yeah, to our update list today, uh, we sent out these questions. Remember, get on our list if you're not. Send us a, an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, put me on the list. To our update list today, we ask these questions. What will happen to the earth and physical universe when the Lord returns? Well, that's, bas- that's basic to this question. In other words, will it be refashioned? Will it continue to exist? Will it be destroyed? What What will happen to the earth and the physical universe when the Lord returns? And then... What will happen to our physical human bodies when the Lord returns? You know, that's an interesting thing to think. I think the Bible addresses it in that if you listen carefully to that audio clip, 
That guy, Josh Pappas, seemed to be somewhat confused about what might happen to our bodies, but I think the Bible addresses that. It doesn't give us all the answers, but we got some. Underlying that is the question, does man possess an immortal, eternal soul? Well, that's one. The, the Jehovah's Witnesses yeah, right. don't believe that, yeah. don't believe that we do. Do we or not? Okay, then, where will the righteous spend eternity? Mm-hmm. And here's where we want to ask, what and where is the new heavens and the new earth from Second Peter 3.13? And then, especially kind of touching on the Jehovah's Witness doctrine, will some of the righteous receive a different eternal inheritance? You know, for instance, like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach about the 144,000. 144,000, yeah. And then finally, where will the wicked spend eternity? Mm-hmm. Is there a real burning hell? Will the wicked be annihilated? You know, that's a, that's a all of these are separate doctrines, but they all kind of mingle together. There are some some well-known people among churches of Christ even who have taught the doctrine of annihilation, that the wicked won't be punished forever; they'll just be wiped out, mm-hmm. completely destroyed with no ongoing existence right. at all, an annihilation. So we'll talk about that. All right, we look forward to hearing from you, Brian in California is listening. He's a uh... He, I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he's probably wondering: Is California still going to be attached to the United States in the new heaven, new earth, or will it have fallen off into the ocean by then? We think California is about ready to fall off already. Well, maybe it'll get attached better, or either it'll just fall in. I don't know. <laughs> all right. So, to the first question, which may be the easiest one of all: What will happen to the earth and physical universe when the Lord returns? Well, the Apostle Peter dealt with that explicitly. In Second Peter chapter three, in Second Peter chapter three, uh, I'll, I'll begin at verse nine. Uh, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. <clears throat> so get this. The heavens shall pass away with the great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. I know when I've asked the Jehovah's Witness about this, they say, well, that just means all the bad stuff on planet earth is going to be destroyed, the bad works. No, this says the earth and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So it's not just what's going on in the earth that's going to be destroyed. It's the earth itself that's going to destroy. The elements will melt with a fervent heat. Uh, the heavens will pass away. The physical universe is going to be destroyed. There's just no doubt. I mean, I, you can't interpret that verse to mean anything other than that. Well, if you need some other words to describe it, verse 11, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation? God, this. These things are going to be dissolved. They're going to melt. They're going to melt. They're going to pass away. They're going to be dissolved. Sounds pretty definitive and destructive to me. Yeah. Now, we've got to understand how some people would try to quibble with that clear statement. Second Peter 3, verse 10 is such a clear statement. But when we talk to people about this, especially when we talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses about this, they would like to bring up a verse like Ecclesiastes 1, verse 4. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 4 says, One generation passes away and another generation cometh. But the earth abideth forever. Uh, the earth abides forever. You know, that, that, that's, the, that's the expression that they like to latch on to. Well, you've got to understand the context, the immediate context here in Ecclesiastes. Solomon was dealing with sort of the, 
the, the, the troubling, vexing thought that he wasn't going to live forever, that everything that he had accumulated was going to be left behind. He was going to die and be forgotten. And so he, he's saying you know, generation after generation comes. The earth just keeps rolling along. My generation is only going to be here for just a little while, and then another generation is going to take its place, and then another generation is going to take it. But and the earth just keeps rolling along. He goes on in that same context. Says, the sun also rises, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to the place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about into the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, and the sea is not full. Into the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. So he, he just, the context of this is he sees the, the incredible brevity of human life in contrast to the ongoing events of nature. So understanding it in that context, do not assume that he means literally that the earth will continue forever. In fact, there are several other places, many other places in the Old Testament where the word forever is used uh, that don't mean like, Time without end. Uh, I've got a couple written in my margin here. Leviticus 6.13, Exodus 12, verse 14. Talks about things like the, the lampstand will burn forever in the tabernacle. Well, the tabernacle is not even in existence now. And certainly the lampstand is not still burning. Uh, the priest would wear their garments. The, you know, Aaron's priest, these garments would pertain to his descendants forever. Well, it's not still going on. The word forever there. Literally suggests the idea of age lasting throughout the age. Not when we use the word forever, we mean ever and ever without end. But the word forever in the Old Testament does not carry that same connotation. It just means a long time, age lasting. And so we've got to be prepared to explain a passage like Ecclesiastes chapter one verse four. It's not to be taken in a literal sense. That would force a contradiction with Second Peter three verse ten. All right, eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. Dwight and Michelle in the chat room uh, reference Matthew twenty four verse thirty five. Heaven and earth, Jesus said, will pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Okay. And then Lou in the chat room asks, when you say doctrines, do you mean different parts of the Bible or man made doctrines, not God inspired? That's a great question, Lou. Typically, when we say doctrines, we're meaning the things that men have invented. Uh, because usually in the Scripture, I think almost without exception, we read the doctrine of Christ. Yeah, it's singular, singular. Every singular. time it's used in reference to God's yeah. teaching. God's teachings are Do- the, the doctrine of the the, the doctrine. Of doc- our Lord Jesus Christ. Doctrine is a church word for teaching or yeah. instruction, and God, yeah. God has one. And, but it's kind of an interesting study. Look in your New Testament, and you'll find that when it's talking about things from God, it's singular. There's one doctrine from God. There are the doctrines of men. And doctrines of devils, First yeah. Timothy 4, verse 1. But doctrine is, doctrine is used singularly when it's talking about the truth from God. Doctrines typically refers to things men have come up with. Reference, Good question. Yeah, Second John, verse 9 Whosoever transgresses and bideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. So yeah. it's singular there. Yeah, yeah. So we, yeah. So there are there. You, there's a doctrine of Christ. There's doctrine of men. Doctrines of men. Uh, when you use the term doctrines, you're talking tonight, especially about the false doctrines of men. Yeah. Okay. Good, good clarification. Thanks, there. So real quickly, what will happen to the earth in the physical universe when the Lord turns? Kent in Georgia says both the physical earth 
and universe shall be destroyed by fire and shall melt with fervent heat. Second Peter three. Verses 10 through 14. And Grant in Franklin, Tennessee referenced 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 13, which we referenced already. And he, he underlines, The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. The earth and its works will be burned up. The heavens will be destroyed by burning. The elements will melt with intense heat. Uh, so Grant says that verse there uh, looks pretty de- definitive it, to it's him. It's just a little bit hard to miss that, isn't yep. it? Yep. We're way over time for a break. Let's grab our break, and when we come back... What about us, then? If the earth is going to be destroyed, what will happen to us? Ooh, good question. We're going to get to that right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Here's a quick thought. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Matthew 5, 6. Righteousness is the condition of being right with God. Do we seek Him like a driving hunger or thirst? Well, when we do, He promises that we will be blessed. Think about it. Seize the day. Here's some quotes worth pondering. The strongest evidence of love is sacrifice. No person was ever honored for what he received. Honor has been the reward for what he gave. Nothing great was ever achieved without enthusiasm. Man, wish I'd said that. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. Back in the program tonight. We look at this idea that the the heaven and earth as we know them are going to remain forever. Maybe just reformed a little bit, but uh, physical earth will still be here. After Jesus returns. Well, we can conclude that's just not true. Yeah. It's not true. Okay. But what about us? What's going to happen to us? Yeah, the guy in the clip that we played at the beginning of the program, he sort of struggled with that idea of what's going to yeah. happen to us. Yeah. Okay. Well, we don't have the full picture of everything. Even right. the Apostle John didn't. First John 3, verse 2. First John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So even the Apostle John said, it's not perfectly clear what that will all be like exactly, but we know we'll be like Jesus. So that's a good warning sign. This guy jumps off into not knowing how it's going to be and, and thinks he, he can he, he it, it doesn't make sense to him, and so he's going to jump off on this other doctrine. Well, even the Apostle John didn't know what it was going to be like. Yeah. And he and so if if this guy is going to jump off and create a doctrine that doesn't line up with the scriptures just because he can't understand it, well, he needs to read there in John about that. About uh, John didn't understand it all. Yeah, here's what the apostle Paul had to say about it. First Corinthians fifteen, verse fifty. First Corinthians fifteen, verse fifty. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. So he said it was a mystery. We don't have the full picture. He says, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? So 
Paul said there's going to, our physical bodies will be changed because this corruptible physical body can't inherit uh, the eternal abode in heaven. So there's going to be some change that takes place. Paul says it's a mystery. He says it's going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. That's all stuff that's never been experienced before. We, we, we can't fully comprehend that, but we understand that that it is a promise change that's going to take place. Yeah, this corruptible body can't in, inherit in heaven. And I, I'll say this, th- this feeble mind can't understand all the things that it will be like. And how many times have you seen people get in off in the weeds and things that God hasn't revealed and create some strange and, and false positions based upon things that are supposition or, or, or based upon their wisdom and their thinking? You know, a, a really basic rule of Bible study is that you don't allow obscure things to kind of hide the obvious truths of plain statements. Let, let the plain, clear statements of Scripture be established. And then on the passages that are more difficult to understand, whatever understanding you place upon them, make sure that they don't cross up this plain statement of Scripture. And don't be afraid to say, I don't know how it's going to be. I don't understand that because God hasn't revealed it. Leave and John, it at that. And John said, Apostle John said that. We don't Leave know. it at that. There's yeah. no, no prizes for you going out and figuring things out that aren't revealed and trying to... To come up with something that nobody else has thought of. Leave it where God left it and say, we don't know. Yeah. Ken, George says, we shall be changed. And he references that passage I just read from 1 Corinthians 15, beginning verse 50. Those raised from death will receive an incorruptible body being raised from the grave. Those who are alive will be changed. Regardless whether one will be eternally saved or lost, they will receive a body properly fitted for eternity. Oftentimes we make the application of an eternal body to those who will be saved in heaven. While such is a proper application, we also need to remember that those who will be eternally condemned to hell will of necessity receive a body fitted for eternal punishment. I think that's a good observation. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. And uh, Grant says the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. He references 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty through 53. Yeah, which did. we just read. Yeah. yeah, great. Thank you, Grant. All right. So our physical bodies are going to be changed and I think to the point that Kent was just making in his email, whether we're going to be in heaven eternally or punished eternally, our bodies are going to be changed and fitted for those eternal ends. And now, uh, Dwight in, and I, Michelle out in Iowa reference First Thessalonians 4, verses 15 through 18. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he, in Dwight and Michelle reference verse 18, say these are comforting words. Verse 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Yeah, really good. All right, thank you. Now, to the, sort of the, the sub-point there is, what about, do we have an eternal part? Is do, Does man possess an eternal, immortal soul? And the answer to that's yes, but now that has been denied. That has been historically denied by the Jehovah's Witnesses. They teach that when a man dies, nothing lives on. Nobody's righteous and wicked alike cease to exist at death. They believe that at a future time, God may choose to recreate some of those who have been dead from his memory. 
they would be the righteous ones. The wicked are annihilated. They're not going to, there's no, nothing left of the, of the wicked. But God may choose to recreate the righteous, but they claim that man doesn't have an immortal spirit. All, when they, when we die, all beings, righteous and wicked, cease to exist altogether. The Bible teaches, though, that man does have an eternal, immortal soul. Now, understand that the word soul in the scripture is used in at least three different ways. Sometimes it's used in reference to the whole person. In Second Peter, or excuse me, First Peter three twenty, uh, when it's talking about Noah's household and saved by the ark, it says First Peter three twenty seven. Concerning the Aquarian few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Well, there's talking about the whole beings. So it can be it can be a reference to the whole person or the whole being. It can be used in reference to the the life within a being. In First Samuel twenty four eleven, David said to King Saul, "I have not sinned against thee yet. Thou huntest my soul to take it." Well, he he meant Saul wanted to snuff out his breath he wanted he wanted to end his living so it can it can refer to just that life force within a being right but it can refer to and and definitely does in the scripture refer to a man's immortal spirit matthew ten twenty eight. fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell and so there you see the idea of the eternal spirit of man. Right. Uh, probably the best example that we have, the best picture of it, is the one we've referenced many times in Luke 16, beginning verse 22, about the rich man and Lazarus. They both died. The rich man and Lazarus died, uh, but they had and they they were they had a conscious existence beyond the grave. The rich man went to a place of torment. Lazarus went to comfort in Abraham's bosom, but they were conscious. They and and were there even as a recorded conversation between Abraham and the rich man. Abraham said, "There's a great gulf fixed between us. We can't come to you. You can't come to us." But they were clearly conscious beyond the grave, and that surely pictures that man does possess this immortal spirit. Our physical bodies won't last forever, but the spirit within us will. Okay. Uh, all right. Good. Um, Grant says, we are made in the likeness of God, Genesis one twenty six, and God is spirit, John 4, verse 24. Uh, so he says, yes, we do possess an immortal soul. Yeah. All right. Good, good. Um, and uh, he also, uh, okay. Um, now we're going to talk about where will we spend yeah, eternity. Right. Okay, Let's then, go to that. Then we've got uh, Kent down in Georgia. He says... We already covered that. Okay, okay. Yeah, all right. covered that. All right. Uh, in all... the chat room, Brian says uh, in California, Isaiah 65 or 17 speaks of the new heavens and a new earth. Was this addressing in ap- uh, apocalyptic language the new dispensation to come with Christianity or the end of the age... Uh, of Second Peter chapter three verses thirteen and uh, verse thir- chapter three verse thirteen references. I don't know. I don't know, Brian. I I, I'm go- I would have to take time to go and look at Isaiah sixty five. I can't I, off the top of my head. I can't tell you the answer to that question. We'll we'll kind of we'll uh, you know uh, the uh, press secretary for President Biden says we'll circle back to that. We'll have to circle back to that, Brian. I don't have the answer to that right now. Okay. All right. 
Thank you, Brian, for that question, and uh, let's let's try and get an answer for that. All right, uh, shall we get uh, this week's bullet point? Yeah, let's do. And then when we get back, we'll continue the discussion. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. In referring to various congregations, it is common to hear someone say, they're liberal, or that church is very conservative. While those statements can be quite vague, most of us have an idea as to what is meant. If liberal means ignoring and openly violating the rules of Bible authority, then we definitely should stand against that. And though we are far more inclined toward a conservative approach to things, if this suggests the idea of binding what God's law does not bind, we also should oppose that. In truth, what we really need to be striving for is full and complete compliance with the pattern of work, worship, and organization for the church as described in the Word of God. Most are quick to condemn those who are too liberal, but the scriptures would also condemn those who demand things that the Bible does not demand, even if those things are done in the name of conservatism. The proper balance is that which Moses urged for Israel of old. Quote, Then Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the ordinance which I am speaking today in your hearing, that you may learn them and observe them carefully. You shall observe to do just as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right or to the left. That's Deuteronomy 5, verses 1 and 32. Jesus said that the correct way is the straight and narrow way. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. That being the case, we must exercise great caution, not deviating to the right or to the left. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the Virtual Bible Study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and guide your family around the computer each Thursday night for the Virtual Bible Study. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3, 17. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight. Reminding you, this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeu.com. And, Kyle, you got anything new for us? Uh, not much. We have some ongoing lessons. and uh, yeah, what's, you're, keeping them, you're keeping them posted. You're keeping them rolling and making so, them look good. Yeah. Uh, check it out at uh, College View Livestream on YouTube, all one word. Uh, you'll want to check it out there. All right, we're talking about uh, what's going to happen at the end of time. Or is the earth going to be reformed, and we're going to live on it uh, all together in, in like Garden of Eden state, or will the earth be destroyed? We're looking at that on the program tonight. Yeah. Uh, to Brian's question in the chat room, Brian, during the break we had a real quick chance to, to take a quick look at Isaiah 65, and I would argue probably... Uh, you might, someone might correct me on this, but I, I'm thinking Isaiah 65, when it talks of a new heavens and a new earth, is not a parallel to Second Peter 3:13. I think, I think Isaiah 65 was talking about a new dispensation of time, where the old Jewish system would be abolished and the Gentiles would be brought in to a new order that we now ex- exist uh, in uh, during the Christian dispensation. I don't think it's talking about the end of time. Okay. So, but but someone may correct me on that. But Isaiah, I don't think Isaiah Isaiah sixty five and Second Peter three are parallels. All right. So, what happens then if the earth and the heavens get destroyed? Where do we go? And our bodies are changed. Yeah. So what what's do we do? Go? What's going on now? Well, I think the past one passage that plays into this discussion is the one that Dwight already mentioned from First Thessalonians four. Uh, when Paul talked about 
the Lord's returning, he says in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13, I would, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. He's talking about those who've died. That you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. For this I say to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the, with the Lord. Well, there's there's a description of what's going to happen to the righteous. Both the, those who were righteous and have died, they're going to be resurrected. Those who are righteous still living when the Lord returns are going to be caught up together in the clouds with the Lord to forever be with him. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to those who <clears throat> argue that the Lord is going to set up a physical kingdom here on earth. There's not any place in the scripture that says that the Lord will actually ever put foot on planet earth again. Even in this description, it talks about the righteous being called up to meet him. Yeah. Not him coming to actually occupy the earth again, but the righteous being caught up to meet him in the air. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so shall we ever be with the Lord, yeah. it says. Yeah, all right. Uh, the, the the picture, uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about this. Uh, in Matthew chapter 25, uh, it talks about, the judgment scene is really Matthew 25, beginning about verse 31. Jesus pictures the judgment scene. Uh, he says uh, before him, verse 32, before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided the sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say to them on his right hand, come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Uh and and at the end of that, and then he, as, then he addresses the wicked. And it, at the end of that, in verse 46, he says, These wicked shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And so we, we get the picture of a, a, an eternal existence with God in heaven. Uh, uh, could you think of another passage that might address that? I don't, I don't, what, does, what do our emails well, here's say? Well, what, here's what, uh, here's what uh, Grant says. He, sa- he references Acts 2, verse 27. Now, this is talking about Jesus, but does um, help us to understand this idea of an immortal, human, eternal soul. Uh, it was said about Jesus in Acts 2, verse 27, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. And so... Uh, Jesus was uh, died, went to Hades, but was resurrected out of Hades. We will as well. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, The dust will return to earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Thank you, Grant, okay. uh, for that. All right. And um, and then we have uh, Kent. And, well, hang on to Kent's because he's going he's to okay. spend his time addressing uh, the, the new heavens, new earth in his email. Okay. All right. All right. So. Uh, what of this new heavens and new earth? Second uh, Peter, let's get to that because that's really sort of the heart of the matter of our discussion tonight. Second Peter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, that's in the same immediate context, which in verse 10 had talked about uh 
the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So if this earth is going to be burned up and we're looking for a new heavens and a new earth, then it's not the same earth. First of all, just just simple logic would say whatever it is, it's not the same earth. It's a new earth. It's called a new earth. It's not the same earth. The, the existing earth has been destroyed, melted. So it's not going to be this earth refashioned or refurbished or not. It's not going to be this earth. Yep. This earth is going to be destroyed. Right. So new heavens and new earth is is not talking about this. Now, I think it's I think the best explanation we can offer for this is that heavens and earth refer to a place of existence. Um the expression heaven and earth, where do we live now? We live in this physical realm. universe. We live in this realm, this earth and the heavens which surround it. Right. You know, uh, he- heavens, there, there are the immediate heavens where the birds fly and the clouds float, our atmosphere. It's called heavens. Mm-hmm. Then there's the heavens beyond those where the stars, where the sun and the moon and the stars are. We call it outer space, but that's... There's the first heaven. That's the second heaven. The third heaven is a place beyond that that's in the spirit realm that's not a physical location. Yep. Uh, Paul talked about being received up into the third, third heaven. heaven. That's scriptural terminology there. Yeah. So, uh, but but where do we live? We live in this heaven and earth. We live We live here on this earth surrounded by this physical universe. We know that's all going to be destroyed. What are we looking for? We're looking for a new place where we will exist. Yeah. And so that not the, a remodeled place, not a remodeled place, but we're looking for a new place, a new place of existence. It's not going to be this place of existence. It's going to be a new place. We use the term heaven and earth to be. That's where we live. We're looking for a, a new place where we will be living. And that's how that expression is used in that context. So you're saying that term doesn't necessitate a physical realm. Exactly. Okay. Uh because we know that this earth is to pass away. I think maybe Dwight in the chat room earlier referenced Matthew twenty four thirty five. We've already talked about Second Peter chapter three verses ten uh, and eleven. Uh, something here in the notes says Hebrews one. I'm not sure what this is. Hebrews one verse eleven, uh, verse ten. Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. They all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt they fold them up, shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Uh, so uh, this earth is, is going to be destroyed. But we are going to have a new place to exist, and that's the whole con- that's the whole contextual meaning of new heavens and new earth is just a new place of existence. Okay. But right. again, it, it it absolutely could not be the idea of a refurbished existing earth because that's going to be destroyed. This will not be a a remodeled earth. You know. You know. So a fellow moves into a new house, and you ask him. Well, is it a brand new house or did you did you remodel an old one? Uh, we understand the difference. It's not a new house. We understand the difference. It's like that. new, maybe, but it's not new. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 
First Peter 1 verse 4, Peter speaks of an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. All right. Here's what Kent said about that. He said, the righteous will live eternally in heaven. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 13 refers to this place as the new heavens and, and earth. Please consider these four concepts. Number one, the present heavens and earth serve as a figure of the heavens and earth in eternity. Number two, the terms heaven and earth are not intended to embrace all of God's material universe and that such will be destroyed by fire and intense heat. Number three, such points to the truth that the phrase new heavens and earth speak with reference to heaven itself, where in eternity the faithful of God will dwell. John 14, 1 through 6. The case being, number four, that the heavens and earth will be destroyed. Such disproves the view uh, that the earth will be renovated or remodeled or cleansed and that all the saved but the 144,000 who live eternally on a re- will live eternally on a renewed earth. We'll talk about that here next. But he says uh, that this idea that the, he- the heavens and earth will pass away shows there has to be something else. Exactly right. Grant says the righteous will spend eternity in heaven, First Peter 1, 3, and 4. I but, just read that, the, the incorruptible, if, imperishable. John craft. 14, 1 through 3. Do not believe, your heart be troubled. Believe in me. Believe in God, believe also in me, and my Father's house are many dwelling places. If they're not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That's a good verse to throw into the mix. Uh, he references Second Peter 3.13 again, new heavens and new earth, where dwells righteousness. And he also references Revelation 21.1-3. Then I saw new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea, and I saw the holy Jer- city, Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. All right. Thank you, Grant. Okay, good. Let's grab our last break. And when we come back, we want to deal with real quickly two things. Will some of the righteous receive a different reward? Like the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, there's actually two rewards and then what about the wicked? Is there going to be a literal burning hell, an eternal literal burning hell, or are the wicked just going to be annihilated? I don't go anywhere. The verse of Bible study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. Hi, I'm Wade Shelton. In 1 Peter 3.15, the scripture says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, we believe here at College View that we should be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks it. And I believe that we are dedicated to this cause. That's why we here at College View bring you the virtual Bible study each week. Our hope is that you will join us each week here on the Virtual Bible Study in hopes of strengthening your faith so that you will be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Please join us here every Thursday night on the Virtual Bible Study. I know that it's worth an hour of your time. We're tracking the trends on the Virtual Bible Study. 44% of Americans admit that they face temptations to overuse electronics and social media such as Facebook, video games, and television. Young people are almost twice as likely as their elders to become addicted to online activities. That information is via faithgateway.com. The Word of God says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. 
Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we're back on the program, going to the top of the hour. And uh, now we need to look at this doctrine that the, the Jehovah's Witnesses will teach when they come knocking on your door that, well, there's a different reward for some people than there is for the rest of us. They latch on to a number that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 14, 144,000. Uh, and it describes these uh, individuals. Actually, the book of Revelation, a highly figurative book, and the number 144,000 would have symbolic significance. Twelve is a, a number of fullness or completeness. So 12 times 12,000 is 144,000. It's just, it's sort of an embellishment upon the concept of fullness or completeness. And it talks about these people, this, this, this large number, this full, complete number receiving a blessing from God. But if you look in chapter 7, when the description of the 144,000 is given, they are all Jews. Mm -hmm. So if you ask the Jehovah's Witnesses, do you think all the 144,000 will be physical Jews? They say no. Well, in other words, they they want the number to be literal, but not the description of the number. In chapter 14... If you look carefully, the 144,000 there are mentioned, and they're all ma- they are all male virgins. And if you ask Jehovah's Witnesses, do you believe all of the 144,000 will be males and will be virgins? No. They say no. So, again, they want the number to be literal, but the description to be not literal, figurative. I don't think you can have it both ways. It's a, it, the book of Revelation, highly figurative. I think that number is, is intended to mean a fullness or a completeness. But there's no indication that there's a different reward for different people, that all will have have a reward in heaven. Um, the uh, uh, Let's see, Matthew 5, verse 11. Jesus, bless are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. He didn't say... Well, great is your reward for some of you in heaven and for most of the rest of you on earth. Good luck. Yeah, he did. He only described one reward. And actually, in Ephesians chapter 4, when the Apostle Paul famously described a number of things of which there are only one, notice Ephesians 4, Verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. There's one hope of our calling. That's not what the Jehovah's Witness teach. There's, two, there's at least two hopes. There's the hope of the 144,000 to go to heaven. There's the hope of the rest of the righteous to inherit a refurbished earth. That's two hopes. Yeah. Ephesians 4 says there's just one hope. Yep, exactly. Um, all right. I think uh, Mohan had a note yeah, about Mohan that. Yeah, Mohan is on that in, up in <laughs> Chicago tonight. Uh, we know from the Bible, hell is... No, that's number four. Oh, okay, we got to talk yeah, about it. We real, need to talk to hell. Kent. Yeah. Yeah, Kent says, um, such a view, the idea of the 144,000, is a misapplication of the highly symbolic language of Revelation 14.125. The Watchtower Society cannot and does not consistently... Uh, apply their application to their own false doctrine. It is truly sad that some liberal thinkers within the church have in the last few years modified this false doctrine to fit their own theology of a renewed 
renovated earth concept. The Bible makes no distinction of the aspects of eternal life to be received by God's faithful people and where it will be administered. Okay, thanks, Ken. Thank you, Ken, for that. And Grant uh, uh, says, uh, okay, no, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, he just he 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 says basically there. Uh, oh, uh, the, yeah. the 144,000 in the Book of Revelation is figurative number, not to be taken literally. Represents all the faithful in the gospel dispensation. I think you're right, Grant. Okay. Okay, real quickly, because we're just almost out of time. Will, where will this wicked spend eternity? Is there a real burning hell? Is there an eternal hell? Well, uh, um, I, I want to go back to a passage I read earlier in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus was depicting the judgment scene, he said, These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. In the Greek, those everlasting punishment and life eternal are the same word. Yep. So how long will heaven be? How long will the bliss of heaven be? Oh, that's going to last forever. Okay. However long that lasts is how long the punishment will last. Oh, it there you be, go. It will be everlasting there punishment. There you go. That's what Dwight and Michelle out and I were referenced. They referenced Matthew 25, 41 through 46. says clearly states that righteous and unrighteous will receive their eternal punishment in hell or reward in heaven. Thank you, Dwight and Michelle, for that. And uh, Grant says, he references Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Mark 9, verses 43 through 48, If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, or is better to you enter life crippled than having two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire? Uh, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's the key there. The worm does not die in this torment of hell. The worm does not die. The fire is not quenched. If it wasn't eternal, then that wouldn't be true. He also references Revelation twenty fourteen to fifteen. The death, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. In Revelation 21, verse 8, for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immortal, immoral persons and, and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Um, here's an argument that I, I'd made once from Hebrews 10, beginning verse 28. Hebrews 10:28. he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who had trodden underfoot the Son of God, had counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So, if uh, under Moses' law you died without mercy, there's a sorer punishment for us. Well, if just dying, it, in other words, if, if, if the wicked die and there is nothing else, then they're not getting a sorer punishment than the people who got under Moses' law. Under Moses' law, you died. If that's all there is for us, then that's not a sorer punishment. Here's a sorer punishment for us who have trodden underfoot the Son of Man, counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he is sanctified an unholy thing. And so uh, if just dying and ceasing to exist is all there is, then that passage doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, so... And that passage, the sore, I think, is some, some old English word, but it actually is going to be sore, I would think. Yeah. Uh, Mohan, uh, here, let's get him in, in Chicago. He says, we know from the Bible that hell is real and there is a punishment. The wicked will be eternally separated from God. Some things, to me, on the nature of hell is unclear. There are many descriptions used in the Bible to describe hell, like weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, lake of fire, etc. These may be symbolic descriptions to describe hell. 
I'm not sure they are used if they are used literally. Also, there are passages that talk about destroying body and soul in hell and words like perish that may imply after a period of conscious suffering they may be destroyed. Please see if you can briefly comment on if we can know for certain that a certain individual whom we may know who has died will be in hell based on their false teachings and the life they lived, and if this is righteous judging. Okay, well, hold that last question. Yeah, let's talk there. about the idea that they're going to destroy body and soul and hell. That, that may in- indicate that it would be a temporary in nature, or it would be some some period of time, and then it would be over. Yeah, I, again, I think not based upon Matthew twenty five forty six. The, the wicked shall go away into everlasting punishment, the righteous unto life eternal. So the punishment of the wicked is going to be everlasting. It's going to go on and on. Now, I, I would probably not argue about some of the descriptions, uh, outer darkness, gnashing of teeth, lake of fire. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know that... There are words in our human understanding that can adequately describe hell, just like I think there are probably not words in our human understanding that can adequately describe heaven. You know, a crystal sea and a street of gold, uh, uh, pearly gates. Those are those are terms used to try to convey to our feeble mortal minds the indescribable glories of heaven. Will there be a literal street of gold? I, I think those are terms used to accommodate our level of understanding. And it may be the same about hell. But I do think that the, that the, that the terminology has to mean that whatever hell is, is going to go on indefinitely. I mean, forever, eternally. All right. Now, so can I say that an individual that I knew who's passed away who was a notorious false teacher or a notoriously immoral person or whatever it may be, is in hell. Can I say that definitively? And is that righteous judging? Well, I always try. You know, I I always try to say God is the the ultimate eternal judge, and so we don't have to put ourselves in that role. But if words have meaning, uh, those who die separated from God will go to hell. And so, you know, I think we're we're actually not doing the judging. When we say here's an accountable person who knew the will of God, who refused, who, who specifically refused to submit to the will of God and died without repentance, confession, and baptism. Can we say that he died in a lost condition? Yes. Uh, that's not us judging. That's the scripture judging him. And so, you know, we, we, I, I don't think we have to put ourselves in the place of God, but I think we can determine. If words have meaning, we can determine that the outcome of some people... Uh, is clearly that they died in a lost state. You ask, is this a real burning hell, and will the wicked um, be annihilated? Grant answered, yes, there is a real burning hell, and no, they will not be annihilated. He references Matthew 25, verse 46. These will go away into eternal punishment. And Kent says, the wicked will be punished for eternity in Gehenna hell, Matthew 25, 41 and 46, Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15. The scriptures inform us that hell is real. It is a place of eternal punishment, torment, and torture with horrible darkness and fire. The inhabitants of hell will not be annihilated. One cannot be eternally punished and tormented in a non-existent situation. I think that's exactly right. Matthew 25, verse 46, uses the terms everlasting and eternal to describe both eternal punishment and eternal life. Such necessitates consciousness in both heaven and hell. 
That is what will make heaven so wonderful and hell so horrible. Thank you, Kent, for that. Uh, Dwight uh, and Michelle in Iowa say, speak, uh, you know, comment about the terror of the Lord. Second Corinthians five verse eleven. I think there is a terror, and, something to be, you know, terror. I mean, to be fearful of the terror of the Lord. And Brian says, has hell commenced, or are the departed in the Hadean realm until Christ return? I would think the latter, uh, based upon what we understand, the the, the picture of of Luke chapter sixteen. That the departed spirits are being preserved in Hades, they're not. They're, it's not an ideal situation for sure. The rich man was in such torment that he wanted Lazarus to come and place a drip of cool water on his tongue. He said, "I'm tormented in this flame." So, our eternal state is fixed when we die. We go to Hades, which is the realm of departed spirits. Even in Hades, the wicked are in torment. The righteous are in comfort, but at the resurrection, those spirits will be rejoined with the resurrected bodies, face eternal judgment, and then sent to heaven or hell. Well, here's one that I don't get too far off. We're out of time. Is Satan in hell now? Uh, We may have to hold that. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 says the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. Uh, So seems what what, what verse is that? Revelation 20, verse 10. So it seems to me that maybe even. But isn't that a picture of of the uh, of the impending judgment, the coming judgment? Yeah, right, right. So that's I'm saying Satan's not maybe not the the idea. Satan's got his pitchfork down there. He's waiting for people to start. This is why this is the the, the end is when he also will be cast into hell. Yeah. Yeah. And so. so, And yeah. Okay. Well, so there. So that would that would argue that hell has not commenced. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. All right, good point. All right, um, well, we're way out of time. Kyle, any thoughts from you? Well, I think it's uh, it's a good lesson that hell is not uh, the devil's realm. It's his punishment. It's his punishment. That's exactly right, Kyle. Good point, Kyle. Good point. Um, All right, Kyle, thanks for being here tonight. Dad, thanks for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for our listeners here for being here. Lots of good uh, help with the program tonight, good comments, good questions, good discussion. We hope you all benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.